0: Good morning, if you will open your Bible to James chapter 1. Amazing grace, I'll never tire, I hope to never tire of that song. How might we be saved, the amazing grace of God. How might we gather here this morning by the amazing grace of God. And how can we have hope that one day we'll stand before Him and all of eternity by the amazing grace of God. If that doesn't bring you joy, I have nothing else to offer you this morning. But if you open your Bibles to James chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one located in the seat in front of you. As we declared in our time together this morning as we began our service, we believe in the authority of the Bible. And so there's no greater gift that we can give you this morning than the word of God And so if you don't have one, that is our gift to you. Scripture begins with these words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. And the next several passages describe the creation of the heavens and the earth. God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. In a glorious display of his power and sovereignty, God speaks all things into Existence. God speaks, and matter comes into existence. Atoms begin to form. Light is created, and all that exists apart from the Father, Son, and Spirit come to be. And all of creation intrinsically declares the glory of God. Psalm nineteen one: The heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Isaiah forty twenty six: Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And Paul, writing in Romans for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. One of the greatest joys I've had in the past few months is, is getting to go out and camp. And when you go out camping, as many of you know, when, when the sun sets and you look up at the sky, you see the thousands of stars in the sky. And to sit back and wonder and awe at the power of God as he holds every molecule and every atom of every star into place from creation. God is visible and known in his works in theological terms, this is called a general revelation. God is known generally by all men through His creation. In Romans one, Paul affirms this by expounding that though all men know know God exists by His works, they deny Him, and God gives up men to the lust of His flesh. Truthfully, there is no such thing as an atheist. Someone who can look out at the works of God and say there is no such God. For they know in their heart that God exists and they are without excuse. Scripture gives a different term for this type of person and that is a fool. For a fool says in his heart there is no God. A person is fooling himself to look out at the creation that declares the glory of God and say that God does not exist And while man can know that God exists generally in Revelation, it does not reveal the gospel or the means by which we are to commune with God to him. Therefore, in his grace, God has given us scripture, special revelation that we might know God. God in history has made himself known to his creation. We know that in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, the author says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Long ago, God spoke to the prophets through, through vision, through, through audible speaking. God spoke to the prophets. The prophets declared the word of God to the people, revealing who God is, and they wrote these truths down. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Scripture is the means by which we know the gospel. Scripture is the means by which we can know how to commune with God. For the Holy Spirit brought to the minds of the apostles the things that they had been taught. And the Holy Spirit empowered them to proclaim that truth and to write that truth down. That is the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. It is by the Holy Spirit in Scripture we are convicted and, and come to know that we are sinners condemned. And it is in the pages of Scriptures that we know that God the Father sent, God the Son to become, to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and die as a propitiation for the elect. It is in the scriptures that we know that having died, Christ raised raised from the dead, three days later, he's ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And One day he will return to judge the living and the dead and to dwell with his people forever. We know these truths because they are written in God's special revelation. That is the scriptures. And arguably the darkest time in church history, men had distorted and twisted Scripture and placed it on a lesser authority than that of popes and priests. And though they stood before men and and they read the Word of God, the Word of God did not have authority in the life of the church. And God, being rich in mercy, raised up men to condemn this false teaching and to reform the church. And out of the Reformation comes what is called the Five Pillars, Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, soli Deo gloria, and sola scriptura. The five solas. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to scripture alone. One theologian summarizes it well. He says, These five solas show the glory of God's gracious way of salvation in a way that sets the tone for true theology resounding in how we think and live in this world. If we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone, then our theology must be scripturally grounded, Christ-focused, faith-driven, grace-saturated, and God-dominated. We are grateful to God for correcting the church in its arguably darkest time. Yet modern Christendom at large has forgotten historically and practically these truths. As we witness church and church time and time again fall away from biblical truth, they often have the same starting point. That is, they begin to distort scripture and place it on lesser authority than other things. We see this in the realm of legalism as men take morality and make a list of, of do's and don'ts and set that above Scripture, and this is not to say that Scripture doesn't speak of moral imperatives, but well, what often happen and happens in legalism is that re- religious people formulate a list of do's and don'ts, and if you can do these things and, and not do these things, then you will gain the approval of God and you will earn your way into heaven. Legalism always leads to a works-based salvation. And what's even more terrifying in this, in this type of thought is men will take their preferences and their convictions that they have nothing to do with Scripture, and they will set them over and lord them over other believers. But it's not just legalism that we see this error. We also see it in emotionalism, word of faith movements, and others that focus on new revelations and new visions and extra-biblical trips to heaven and, and so many other types. What often occurs is, is feelings become what drives the believer and not the word of God. And I would contend and argue that this is predominantly the way that most churches function today. Whatever appeases man, whatever can attract the crowds, whatever makes us feel good is what is true. And anything that makes us feel bad or anything that scripture says that might rub up against us, we can bypass it, ignore it, because all that matters is that we feel good. Or we have men standing in pulpits claiming to be Prophets of God giving new revelation that contradicts Scripture and people will follow after such men. Worship and study become preference-driven and person-focused. Both of these movements might use Scripture, but it is not the sole authority, and most often they use it out of context. Legalists will view Scripture primarily as a rule book. An emotionless will cherry pick scripture to justify their feelings or lifestyle. Neither tend to exposit scripture and see it as God's means for our sanctification, but view scripture merely as a means to justify their beliefs. But what we see in James is that scripture is central and vital to the Christian life. Scripture is the means by which the Holy Spirit has sanctified us is sanctifying us and will ultimately sanctify us. And so with that, if you will stand to do honor to the reading of God's word, we will begin in James chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you will pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for bringing us here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. As we open your word this morning, we ask that you would conform our thoughts after your word and not your word after our thoughts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear truth this morning. Your word is truth. Amen. You can be seated. In this passage, we see how vital the word of, of God is for the believer. And as your pastor, one of my greatest desires for you as individuals and and for us as a church is to see how glorious and important Scripture is to the believer and and to see how God works through Scripture to accomplish His purposes. What we see in Scripture is, is that the Holy Spirit and Scripture, though they are separate, we have Scripture, which is the revelation of God, and the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of God, the Trinity, they are often closely intertwined. When we look throughout the Word of God, when we see Scripture, we often see the Holy Spirit at work. And when we see the Holy Spirit working, it is often through the pages of Scripture. And we see this, I think, predominantly in two ways. First, it is the Holy Spirit which inspires the Word of God. Acts 16 Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter, speaking to the disciples after the ascension of Christ, recognizes that David did not speak of his own will, but the Holy Spirit spoke through David, prophesying that Judas would betray the Messiah. And Paul, towards the end of his ministry, having been arrested and brought To Rome, Paul sets up a meeting with the Jewish leaders where he goes through the Word of God, goes through the Scriptures, and testifies to them the Gospel. And in Acts 28 15, we see the response. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet that is, that they would have eyes to see and not perceive, and ears to hear, but not. Understand, it is the Holy Spirit who spoke through the prophets, and even Ezekiel affirms this in his book, Ezekiel three twenty four through twenty seven. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, "Go shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth." so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And then we come to the New Testament, and Peter tells us what we see all throughout the Old Testament. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who inspires men to write the word of God. Jesus, speaking to his apostles, says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus promises the apostles that when he ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit would come and... Sorry, I got unclipped. The Holy Spirit would come and, and allow them to recall the teaching of Jesus, that they might speak forth the truth, that they might write down the truth, that they might show forth the truth as inspired by... The Holy Spirit. And then the last example I can give you this morning is Jesus after the resurrection comes upon two disciples who are on their road to Emmaus. It is a a passage that we are often familiar with. And these two disciples are are walking to Emmaus and they're in confusion about what just took place in Jerusalem. And, And Jesus appearing to them and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus showed them how scripture pointed to him. Jesus goes to the scriptures to show, that how, show how all of the scripture pointed to him. The work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ. The Spirit gives us understanding of who Jesus is and causes us to truly see him. And he does this in the word as he has inspired the authors to write. The scriptures are not a man-made invention. They are not man's Ideology is put on paper, the scriptures are the inspired word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who searches the depths of God. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals God to man in way of inspiration. The words that, that we have in scripture are the inspired words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But not only does the Holy Spirit inspire scripture, the Holy Spirit gives man understanding of Apart from the Holy Spirit revealing to us the truth of Scripture, we would not understand what is written in its pages. We would be blind to the words. We would be deaf to what it is speaking. Historically, there are two common dangers within church history that arise when men do not understand that the Holy Spirit both inspires and gives understanding to Scripture. First, men approach Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit, Spirit and study it as some kind of academic text. They take it to seek human knowledge and human wisdom. It is merely an intellectual and heady exercise. This attempt to approach scripture apart from the Holy Spirit is a hallmark of liberal Christianity. An attempt, in an attempt to make scripture more palatable to the intellectual world, men came to scripture and said, well, we can't talk about the miracles. Well, We can't Talk about the prophecies. We can't talk about some of these things that that maybe the modern world would not accept. So we begin to cut them out and and remove them. And what happens in liberal Christianity far often is things like the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all become myths. They all become fairy tales, which are not true. Men have approached Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit of God, trying to understand something that they could never understand apart from the Holy Spirit revealing it to them. One of the presidents of our nation did this very thing. President Jefferson, uh, approaching Scripture, would cut out, cut out um, miracles and the resurrection, these things which he thought was fanciful, and he, he cut those out of Scripture, and he took only the words of Christ and only those things which would be considered concrete and said, this is the true Bible. This is not a danger, though, that is limited to liberal Christianity. It is, a, it is something that we must always guard our hearts against. That we have many conservatives who, who would come to Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit, seeking to learn theology and doctrine and so many other things, and, and build up for themselves intellectual knowledge. Secondly, others will rarely come to Scripture, but they will focus solely on the Spirit. And as we mentioned earlier, this leads to emotionalism. Men driven by the ebbs and flows and the political thoughts of the day and culture and what attracts people. And this is what drives their definition of truth. It has nothing to do with Scripture, but all about, quote-unquote, the Spirit. And understand that I am not saying emotions are bad. Because as the Spirit reveals the truth of God to us in the pages of Scripture, it causes us to look with joy upon the cross. It causes us to feel the crushing weight of the guilt of our sin and to rejoice knowing that Christ has paid for the sin of the redeemed in full. As we come to Scriptures in the Spirit, it produces strong emotions within us, but it is not these emotions which drive us apart from Scripture. So we must understand that it is the work of the Spirit to inspire human, who inspired human authors to write the words of scriptures. Pointing us to Christ, and it is the work of the Spirit to give us understanding of what these words are. The Holy Spirit is working by Scripture to seek and save the lost and to conform the redeemed into the image of Christ. And in these verses in James, we see the Spirit works in His Word in salvation from beginning to end. In verse 18, we see that we have been brought forth by the Word of truth. Uh, Dallas and I was talking about this last night. We were talking about John chapter 3 and Jesus and and Nicodemus and this conversation that happens between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's He's a teacher who comes to Christ in the middle of the night. And Jesus answers Nicodemus. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus asked an important question for all of us to consider. How might we be born again? And in James 1.18, we see that answer. We are brought forth by the word of truth. We are passive in the bringing of forth. It is not something we work within ourselves to be brought forth. It is something that is done to us. In this statement in James 1.18, we see the glorious truth of our redemption. The Spirit has redeemed us by the gospel. It is the Spirit alone, not our works, that we are regenerated, that we are born again. For it is the Spirit who gives life. In John 6, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the Holy Spirit which brings us forth to new life. Not according to our will, not according to our flesh, not according to our works, but according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit alone brings us to new life. Therefore the redeemed are those who have been born again, birthed anew, brought forth, who have had their heart of stone taken and given a heart of flesh, who were at one time darkness and brought into the kingdom of life, not because of their own works, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Not by our efforts, but by the work of the Spirit are we redeemed. And the Spirit does this by revealing to us the gospel and taking the works of Christ and applying them to the redeemed. How does the Spirit bring us forth? By the word of truth. As we see in James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. That is the gospel. It's not always the case. When we see this phrase, the word of truth, in scripture, it is talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Which we see in other places of scripture. Scripture. Colossians 1 5 because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel. Ephesians one thirteen in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation you believed in him were sealed with the promise holy Spirit, the gospel, the word of truth, is the means by which the Holy Spirit takes that which is dead and brings it to new life. Paul affirms this in Romans ten when he asks, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good. News. It is the gospel, the word of truth, most often proclaimed, which the Holy Spirit uses to to bring us to redemption. The Holy Spirit giving us eyes to see in the new birth causes us to see the revelation and the truth of the gospel. This should embolden us to proclaim the gospel with confidence, knowing that it is the Holy Spirit which brings new life, and gives ears to to hear according to the will of God. There's a theology that says God has done all that he can do to save men. Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he rose from the dead, he's ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and God has done everything that he can, and now it is up to man to do the rest of the work. And as a new minister being shackled under This theology. I remember and I recall staying awake many nights in in constant fear, wondering how I might convince those under my care to believe the gospel. How am I, a human being, to, to convince this person to accept Christ? Did these people under my care never profess faith? Was there something I could have said better? Was there evidence that maybe I hadn't thought of that I could have used? Could I have been more winsome or attractional? And the weight of bearing others' salvation was a crushing weight. And what we find under this theology is a heavy burden. And the heavy burden of the salvation of man is placed upon the one who proclaims the gospel. If you want men to be saved, then you must convince men to be saved. If you want your children to come to Christ, then you must be able to convince them. And if you fail to articulate it in such a way that it is it is attractive to them then you have failed to present the gospel to them but as I grew and studied scripture I began to see by the grace of the Holy Spirit that this was a weight I was never meant to bear this is not a weight that we are meant to bear for it is God alone of his own will brings us forth by the word of truth the Holy Spirit works by the word of truth the gospel to redeem us We are called to do one thing, and that's to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and know that the Holy Spirit will redeem all who are meant to be redeemed. All we have to do is proclaim forth that truth which has set us free. And having been redeemed, the word of the truth by the Holy Spirit abides and lives in us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes, you have been Born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter saying the exact same thing James is saying in this passage. You have been born again, James says, you have been brought forth. This isn't something that we're doing, it's something that is done to us by the Holy Spirit. Peter said it's through the living and abiding word. We are brought forth by the word of truth, and then in James 21, that word is implanted in us. And we come to James one twenty one, and we see that we are commanded to receive with meekness the implanted word. And the first thing to note is that this command assumes first and foremost that the word has already been implanted. That's what happened in 18. When we are brought forth by the word of truth, that word is implanted in our hearts. We were at one time dead. We had no place for the word of God. We had no love or desire for the truth of the gospel until we are brought forth and that word is planted within us. We saw this a few weeks ago in 1 John 5, 3-4. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Prior to being born again, we loved the world we hated the commands of God they were a burden if and when we ever encountered the word of God we found it to be burdensome and toilsome and boring and and unattractive and unimportant the Pharisees the religious leaders of Jesus's day are a prime example of people who came to the word of God and found it to be burdensome Jesus said to the leaders who were, who were trying to kill him, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. The religious leaders knew the scriptures intellectually better than anyone else in their day. They could recite to you many passages of the word of God, yet when they came to it, they saw it as a burden, a weight, something they could not understand because the word of Christ was not in them. Before men are born again, they come to, to God's Word and they find no need for it. They find it irrelevant because they, are not, because they are filled with the world. Yet when the Word is implanted, and when we've been born again, our hearts are changed by the Holy Spirit. We begin to desire the things of God, and the, and the things of God are revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. The implanting of the Word is the fulfillment of of Jeremiah thirty one, thirty-three, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the new covenant in Christ, a new heart that desires the things of God. One pastor says it well. The Holy Spirit carries the word into our dead hearts, and causes us to see the truth of Christ as we never have. And we are given life through the word of tr- through the word of truth, the word of God, the gospel. The Spirit dwells in us, and the word is implanted in us. The indwelling Spirit is God's way to keep us and bring us to heaven. The implanted word is God's way of preserving and saving our souls. In the end, the gospel, the revelation that Jesus Christ is the man God who, man God who bore the wrath for the redeemed, the redeemed now stand in the righteousness of. Christ works in us by the Holy Spirit. And now when we come to the Word of God, we no longer find it burdensome, but we find it freeing. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 we read, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. The Word of God is actively at work in the hearts of the redeemed. If you'll recall Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. The author of Hebrews describes the word of God as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit, by the word of God, shapes us and molds us into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit, through the word, continues to reveal the depths of Christ's glory to us. And as we begin to see Christ more and more for who He is, we begin to see how sinful we truly are. We, we come in repentance and faith. He changes our desires. We put off filthiness and rapid wickedness. By the word of truth, we have overcome the evil one in Christ. And by the word, we overcome the evil one. As we saw in 1 John 2, I write to you, Fathers, because you know whom, you know Him who is from the beginning... I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. When we are brought forth by the word of truth and that word of the gospel is implanted within us, we have overcome the evil one. And as we come to the pages of scriptures and we're continually pointed back to Christ and reminded of the, the, the gospel which has saved us, we continue to, to defeat and overcome the The evil one. The word of God implanted in us, works in us, abides in us and it saves us. And so of this implanted word we are commanded to receive it. The Greek word for receive is dekomai which means to welcome or to accept. It gives a connotation of joy expectation, rejoicing at receiving it. Whenever I get on the internet um, one videos that I, I tend to always get sucked back into time and time again whether I've seen them a thousand times or not, and that is when soldiers come home and, and they're reunited with the family. And in these particular videos, often the family is unaware that the soldier is, is returning home. And when the family member returns and they finally see that, that military member who been, who's been on deployment for months and years, there is screaming and tears and hugging and rejoicing and receiving of that loved one. I guess I've never gone away long enough to experience that for my wife. But in each of these situations, there is a welcoming, a, a receiving, accepting, a rejoicing at the return of the loved one who was once far off. For, for the redeemed, the command, the word of God is no longer burdensome because the word of truth is implanted within us. And now we come to the inspired word of God, and seeing that its pages reveal the, day, the greater depths of who God is. And that is what I think James is driving at in this passage. Now that the Word has been implanted with us, we are to, con- we are to continually receive it by coming to the pages of Scripture. The Word of God can be received, can be read in a way that, that receives it and welcomes it, and there are ways that we can read the Word of God that finds it burdensome and heavy And toilsome, and we can come to it begrudgingly. Receiving is a posture and a characteristic of one who has been redeemed. And begrudgingly is the characteristic of one who the Word of God has not been implanted. There are those who profess Christ who come to Scripture day after day, seeing it as just another duty that I have to do. Just something else to check off the checklist. They may occasionally find it enjoyable when there's something that they agree with. But overall, the demeanor is one of duty. There's no joy. There's no desire to come to the Word of God. It's just something that I've been told I have to do. Unlike the nominal to a believer, the redeemed receive the Word of God with open arms because the Word is implanted in them. The Word is the means in which they can see who God is, and the Word is, is how the Holy Spirit draws them into communion with God. In Psalm 1, 1-3, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. That is not to say that for the believer there are not seasons where reading the word of God feels more like a duty than a joy. We still live in a fallen world. We are still tempted to sin. And we do not receive the word of God perfectly. In fact there is only one who has. And that is Jesus christ christ is the only one to fulfill psalm 1 1 through 3 perfectly but as we are being conformed into the image of christ by the holy spirit through his word it starts to become more of a characteristic of those who are in christ but i do believe and i would be unloving i think to not say this that for a person who comes to the word of god They never desire to hear the preaching of God. There's no joy in reading the word of God. They don't desire to meditate upon the word of God. This might indicate that the word of God has never been implanted in your heart and you might not be redeemed. For those who have the word of God implanted in them, they come to the word of God with joy because now they can see Christ clearly. And in what manner ought we we to receive this word? We are to receive it with meekness. The Greek word protes has a couple of different meanings. Here it is translated as meekness. What often comes to mind when we think of meekness is gentleness or forbearance or kindness. But that's not describing how James says we ought to come to this word. The King James Version and the English Standard Version both translate this Greek word meekness, but I think the the New American Standard Bible translates it better. That is, in humility. James is showing us what kind of attitude we must come to the Word of God and and receive it, and that is an attitude of humility. We are commanded to come to the Word of God, not with a haughty spirit, but one that is teachable and moldable. The declaration from the Reformation, sola scriptura, was an understanding that our lives, having been redeemed by God, are lived under the authority of the word of God. This requires us to humbly submit our lives to God's word, to be taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness that the man of God may complete, be complete, equipped for every good work. The life of the redeemed is one that is submitted under the authority of the Bible. That's why I was joyous when we came this morning in our Reminder of our core covenant, this or our core commitment this morning was the authority of the Bible that we are people submitted under the authority of the the Word of God. We're not driven by feelings, we're not driven by heady knowledge, we are driven by the Word of God, and that sets the standard for all that we do here at Life Point. There are two great sorrows in ministry when it comes to ministering to people as they engage the Word of God. First is when people come to the Word of God, they acknowledge the word of god and they walk away saying i don't like that that's not what i think that's what scripture calls a haughty spirit one who has who has been confronted with the truth of the scripture and though it may go against everything they have ever been taught they walk away denying it because what they believe is more comfortable what they believe doesn't really challenge them. What they believe doesn't convict them of their sins. And so when they're confronted with the truth of Scripture, they see it, they acknowledge it. I notice that it's there. I know that's what the Bible says, but that's not what I believe. And in that moment, that person has set themselves up as the authority over Scripture instead of humbly submitting themselves under the authority of Scripture. Second people is when people conclude that they have learned everything they need to know from Scripture and there's nothing more for them to learn. The person who believes that they know everything from scripture. Is the person who knows the least from scripture. The word of God is a never ending fact. We'll never mind the depths of scripture. We could come to it time and time again for 150 years. And you will never reach the depths and the glories of Christ. That the word of God reveals. As inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon wisely illustrates. No one ever outgrows scripture the book widens and deepens with our years this is in fact what the holy spirit is doing when he sanctifies us he reveals to us more truth about who god is and as we see the glories of christ our lives begin to be conformed into the image of christ and then we come back to that passage and we and we read it and we see more about who christ is and our lives are more conformed this is the work of sanctification by the holy spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, 12-13, we read, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things of God freely given us. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, as it is received with meekness, is molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. This is the work of sanctification that the Lord has said that he would do in the life of the redeemed. if we are redeemed, we can have confidence in knowing that we will be conformed to the image of Christ as we come to his word and as we receive it with meekness because the word has been implanted within us. As we are led by the Spirit into the word, the Spirit transforms our desires, revealing to us more the glories of Christ, leading us to confess and repent, to cast off filthiness and rampant wickedness and causes us to see with meekness the implanted word once again if we're to mortify the sins of the flesh let's not try harder if all we do is put our head down and say i'm going to try harder not to sin next time you know what you'll do next time you'll sin next time as we come to the word of god and we see the glories of christ knowing that yet we sin we have an advocate who's at the right hand of the Father, pleading his blood on the behalf of the redeemed, we can come and repent of our sins and confess of our sins and see Christ where he is and be conformed and molded into his image. And then the last thing I think we see in this passage is that the believer can rest knowing that, that if he has been brought forth by the word of truth and the word is implanted in his heart, he will ultimately be saved. I just want to read it one more time. James 1.21, therefore put away all Filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with me the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is not telling us that if we do A, B, and C then we will be saved but if we have been born again and that word has been implanted with us then that word will ultimately save us. The word of truth, the promise of the gospel. Philippians 1.6 and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The moment we are redeemed, we are justified. We are declared righteous in Christ. We stand in a righteousness, not our own, but an alien righteousness that belongs to Christ. Christ having taken our sinful nature and bore it upon the cross, suffering the wrath of God. And so the moment we are born again, we are, we are justified, we are declared righteous. But we are also sanctified. We are made holy in Christ. As James says in one eighteen that we are kind of, First fruits of His creation. As we are born again, we are set aside, we are made holy, we are now in Christ, we're no longer in darkness, we are no longer like the world, we are a new creation set aside for worship of God. And the Holy Spirit is also sanctifying us as we are being conformed into the image of Christ, as, as, as He puts to death sin in our lives and transforms us over the span of our life into the image of Christ by His Word. And then we will one day be holy when we are perfectly sanctified when He glorifies us, John echoes this truth in First John three: two through three. "Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be or, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure we are sanctified. We are holy in Christ. We are God's children now. We are no longer children of wrath. We are children of God now. And we will be but what we will be like has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. We are God's children now, but one day we will be like him. We will be perfectly sanctified. Therefore, if our hope is in Christ we are to purify ourselves as he is pure. We are purified by the Spirit, by the Word of God. This is our hope. This is the hope of the believer as as we've been brought forth by the truth of the Word, as as the Gospel has been implanted within us. We know that we are sanctified. We've been set aside. We've been redeemed. Yet we know that we are still sinful and fallen. That we still walk through this life battling the flesh. But we look forward to the day when we will sin no more. Well, we saying it this morning. To the, the, the redeemed of God will be saved to sin no more. We look forward to that when we are perfectly sanctified. In this life, our hope is in Christ. And it's in Christ as we are continually conformed to this image by the working of the Spirit. Yet this hope is not for those who have not been brought forth by the Word. There is no implanted Word and there is no salvation. The hope of being sanctified, the hope of looking forward into a time where we be made like Christ is not for those who are not redeemed. By nature, all men are children of wrath. All men are under God's wrath because all men are sinners. Sin is not the act we do or the thoughts we have. Sin is the nature in which we are. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born. Sinners, we are all fallen in Adam, but God, in his mercy, before the foundation of the world set his love on a particular people. And in the fullness of time, God the Son came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. And he suffered the death on the cross as a wrath-bearing sacrifice for his people. Jesus Christ, having rose from the dead, having defeated death, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. If you are here this morning and have never trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, repent and believe this word of truth, the gospel. And we can have confidence knowing that all who God calls, he justifies. And all who he justifies, he glorifies. If you will pray with me. O oh Lord, you have shown us great mercy and grace. Father, we praise you for bringing us forth by the word of truth. Apart from your grace, none of us would worship you, none of us would repent of our sins and believe upon Christ. Like those who cried, crucify him, we would hate our Savior apart from the work you have done in us. We thank you for continually revealing to us truth according to your word. I pray as a church we would hold fast to your word as our only and sole authority. May we never turn in this church from the truth of your word to the ideologies of men. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to hold fast to truth, grant us a deeper desire for truth, and allow us to rest in truth. Amen. Amen. If you would stand, we'll sing Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery In the dawning of the King, he the theme of heaven's praises, rolled in praise.